Drive to the pass. Hold it. Defense. Number 33. Five-yard penalty. Automatic. First down. Greetings and welcome to the 4th and Inches podcast. I'm your host, Sukdeep Puni, and we have our main zebra, Roger Goodgroves, here today. Roger, how was your Christmas? Yes, a very interesting um, from a football perspective. Lots going on and trying to fit it in around all the family stuff was quite hard, yeah. I must admit. But um, did, it did felt like um, there was football on all the time. Yeah, how much did you get to watch at the end? Quite a lot, actually. Um, luckily, um, my daughter was very accommodating and uh, she's got other guests coming over between Christmas and New Year and others at New Year. So, um, in fact, I sloped away to watch um, TV on a fire stick, um, gave them some peace. So uh, I think yeah. she was half glad of it. So, uh, yeah, most of it. And uh, then caught up on the game in 40s on the ones I didn't. Uh, exactly right. It was uh, it was a fantastic week of football again. And Obviously, the playoff positions now, it's getting, particularly in the AFC, it's getting really, really exciting with two weeks of games to go now. It's pretty much anyone's game now. And, you know, these decisions now that made by the officiating team are, you know, just as vital as, you know, sort of the on-field play. And yeah. it's going to be a lot It puts of- everything into focus now. I mean, mm. you know. We, we talk about the decisions made by the officials, but, you know, it's the coaches' calls, it's the players' drop passes. It, exactly. They're all in focus. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we, we seem to concentrate on the officials and, and a decision that swung a game one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But in yeah. reality, before we get to that point, there are probably 20 or 30 team decisions. Like, we're yeah. going to talk about the, the Baker Mayfield game, and it did swing on a last decision, but... You know, he's throwing interceptions all game long and exactly. that's not going to help him. <laughs> exactly. You want to be in a position where you're not having to rely on one call um, to decide the game. And and the other factors as well, which are not in any sort of officiating controls is COVID, you know, COVID protocols. I mean, we've seen Carson Wentz now. He's uh, potentially going to miss some game time because he's unvaccinated. So there's, yeah. there's a lot of factors which are going to make Absolutely. a massive decision yeah and i think that goes back to what you were saying earlier about how it's becoming very critical because any given sunday is probably more true this year than i've seen it ever exactly. um, you get you know the lions beating one of the top teams and you think where did that come from <laughs> mm-hmm. we had it last week uh, the texans beat my youngest team the chargers you know just chargers flying for um you know Playoff contention. They have a few cases of COVID, and 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 that's it. They 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 go down, and now they're kind of up against it now. You know, uh, that was a that was a, a must win game and a game that they thought that you know would be quite easy, and it's now turned into a situation where they're currently out of the playoff picture, and the Miami Dolphins are in. Yeah, as a result of um, you know, and who would have thought that when we saw them play at Wembley? Oh, sorry, not Wembley, Tottenham. Tottenham, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Crazy, even that losing to the Jags as well. Yeah, wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't have thought we'd be in that position. But anyway, we're here to talk about um, the week sixteen games. Yeah, I think I've finally got it right after a few weeks of uh, <laughs> adjusting to the new extra week in the season. Yeah, exactly. All I did was just realise books have got two games and minus there. So <laughs> easiest way to to work it out. So we're going to talk about the. Um, one of the earlier games in this week 16 window, this was between uh, the Green Bay Packers and the Cleveland Browns. Um, So the first uh, play call we're going to talk about is a, um, a catch by an attempted catch, should I say in the third quarter by Winfrey. Uh, It was given as a, an incomplete pass. Um, The Green Bay Packers, uh, challenge that call uh, and what what happened in this particular incident because the Packers weren't happy were they? Yeah, so it's an interesting one actually because I must admit when watching it live, um, it was it was called an incompletion, uh-huh. and then it was challenged. And looking at the replays, the initial view and what most people were looking for was did he get his hands under the ball? 
Because, yeah. as you know, in order to complete a catch, the ball hasn't got to touch the ground in such a way that you haven't already got control of it. And we'll come back to that in a second. Um, and, and so, the, the, you know, a miraculous attempt at a catch, getting his hand underneath the ball, for most people, that was the critical moment because if he got his hand under the ball, the ball didn't hit the ground, it's a catch. And that was my initial reaction too. And it was only when looking at the replay and you then say, okay, so going back to what we always talk about, what components are needed to make a catch? Well, obviously we need control. And he got his control, he got his hand under the ball, got the ball firm in his grasp. You didn't have to get a body part down, which he obviously did because he's falling to the ground easily enough. But because yep. he was falling to the ground, he needs to maintain control through the process of hitting the ground. And if you watch carefully, as he is trying to make sure that he gets his hand underneath and doesn't lose control of that ball, the ball rides up his body. And there's a moment when he's almost on his head. And you can see the ball look like it might pop out and hit the ground. Now, yeah. the question mark is going to be, was it fully under his control at that time? In which case, hitting the ground isn't a problem as long as he doesn't lose control of the ball, or was it loose? Now, here is uh, the golden rule. We need to remember what was the call on the field. Because if we've got that moment of doubt where we're not sure did it or didn't it, and we can't be sure by the video one way or the other, then we have to default to the call on the field. So it was called an incompletion. Therefore, it'll go back to being an incompletion because there's not clear and obvious evidence that it wasn't an incompletion. Yeah. So looked a great catch, but in hindsight, there's enough doubt in there that a correct call would be stands. Excellent. So, yeah, at the end of the day, you got to go for the challenge. But, you know, fundamentally, you know, if there's not enough either way, then you kind of go with the, the original call, I guess. Um, yeah, it was a good challenge because, you know, you did get yeah. his hands under the ball. And, and that is the single factor that people were looking at here. Yeah. And it's it, it it's not the only part of the catch process, as we've talked week mm -hmm. in, week out. And um, it, it's easy to look at that first aspect and think, yeah, great, you got his hands on the ball, therefore it's a catch. Yeah. The next play we're going to talk about is to do with the same game. So this was um, this was a long call, but uh, I imagine a few fans may have messaged in about this particular one. This is uh, uh, the Browns on the offence and Nick Chubb um, of number 24 going for the run. And a lot of people said there was a face mask there by TJ Slayton when they look at sort of the replay. Um, what were your thoughts on this particular play? Well, it's funny you should say we're, we're looking at this, another play from this game. I think we could do this podcast about plays from <laughs> this game completely without actually Easy. touching any others. There were so many incidents in it in one way or another. Uh, anyway, back to this particular one. So, as we've talked on previous times, and this was a good example of it, which is why I wanted to include it, there are two components to a face mask foul. The first is touching a helmet opening, usually the face mask, and the second is some sort of pull or twist. Um, so if you actually have a look at this, the, the defender has his hand around the helmet of the runner, but he doesn't get into any helmet openings nor pull or twist anything from the helmet. So yeah. you're allowed to hold the helmet. That's not a foul. Yeah. And, and that's the critical um, difference between this foul. And there was actually one we're not going to go into detail about on video, but just because people will no doubt say, well, what about that one? Earlier in the game, there was a missed face mask penalty on Baker Mayfield. Now, um, it should have been called. However... Um, not to excuse it, but to explain it, the person who was actually looking at Baker to watch um, anything against him is the guy that does the announcements, the referee, uh, the guy wearing the white hat. And he's directly, or Baker is directly between him and the face mask being pulled. Now, the referee could probably see that Baker's helmet dipped but he can't see what causes it. And you can't call a foul unless you can say the components were met. Um, so it's an unfortunate one. We can see on video very clearly that this was a face mask. However, from the view of the referee who's looking at that action, 
he can't see it. And you could argue, well, what about all the other officials? There were six other officials. Why didn't they see it? Well, because they're all watching for different things. The guy that stood next to the referee in the backfield, he's looking at the line play, particularly the interior line. Um, and that's what he's looking at, making sure there's no holds there, making sure there's no chop blocks, etc. The guys on the wing are watching their receivers. Um, the guys down deep are watching receivers when they go down for patterns. So, you know, everybody's got their own responsibility. Um, yeah. And it's just unfortunate. We, we get used to the fact that we've got 20 or 30 cameras at a game watching everything from different angles and we can see it and we say well why can't they see it well it's not always so obvious it's in not. time i think you know there will be obviously more and more of a push as we get more and more hd cameras to say well there's a need for a video judge that goes beyond what we currently have but it was missed. But um, two face on fouls, one that shouldn't have been called and wasn't, and one that should have been called and wasn't. So, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, they got a break on that one. Mm -hmm. um, same game, as you said, we've got a lot to talk about in this particular game. This is the, um, this was a false start call on Wyatt Teller. Um, now, looking at the footage, there doesn't appear to be any movement from Wyatt Teller. And when the call's <laughs> given, he... He seems completely bemused by it all, doesn't he? Um, Absolutely, quite rightly yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, he looked like one of my kids after he got a rubbish Christmas present, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good analogy, yes. Yeah, yeah he, he, he couldn't understand why on earth he was being called for a foul because he definitely didn't move before the, before the play. And he quite rightly was going, well, I didn't do anything. Um, and if you look back at the video, it, it, it's a difficult one to spot what was called because the initial view that you take, firstly, your eyes go to him and you say, well, what, what was he doing that he shouldn't have been doing? And you look at him and think, well, there was nothing that he was doing. And then you look at the other side of the line and there was a, a, a Green Bay um, defender came over the line and you think, well, OK, that looks like his defensive offside or uh, neutral zone infraction. Um, however... What caused it and what wasn't easily spotted on the day was the movement by the centre. And if you look at the video, the centre makes a very abrupt head movement left and right. Um, so you're not allowed to simulate the yeah. start of a play or make a sudden um, abrupt movement. Um, and yeah. if you do, that, that's what's called a false start. So it was unfortunate that what was announced was a foul on number 77 when it should have been a foul on number 53. Yeah. Um, I have a little sympathy for the the guy throwing the flag and getting the wrong number because the guys that are actually throwing those flags are actually on the wings. And they're looking directly down the line. They're looking for any movement that either comes across from the defence early or the, the offence are moving uh, and pulling the defence off. And... Um, Obviously, from a numbering point of view, the numbers are on people's backs and fronts, and you don't see that view. And yeah. um, so th they do practice before the game, knowing who are the starting lineup um, and what numbers they are. But sometimes when you see a movement, it's not necessarily easy to see who was the person who made that movement when you're looking down the line. So unfortunately, it was, it was misannounced, um, but it was a correct call. Later in the official game book, they did change um, the, the numbering so that they actually quite rightly put it on the centre. So they did make that correction later. But unfortunately, <laughs> on the, the, the TV feed, obviously, we didn't get that correction announced. And, yeah. uh, it looked really bad because you think, well, he didn't do anything wrong. Why are we calling that? And game's rigged, mm. you know? Yeah. But you can see on that replay, the head movement on the centre. You could, you could clearly see that afterwards when you're watching this, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's very clear and obvious when you look yeah. at the centre. The trouble is most people, because of the call, were looking at number Just 77 and, and, and yeah. saying, well, there was no nothing going on there. And they looked at the exactly. other side of the field and there's a Green Bay Packer coming across. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, he and the guy in the middle of the field were pulled into it by that centre's head movement. Yeah. So the next game, well, no, sorry, we're still talking about the same game. We've got the defensive um, pass interference not given. Um, with the final drive for the Cleveland Browns. Um, this was a, a, a ball which was um, basically a bit of a hustle there from Russell Douglas and Donovan Peoples-Jones. Seems to be a bit of holding there. 
and then Douglas comes off him and then intercepts the ball to give Green Bay the victory. So um, what's your sort of thoughts on that? Yeah, very critical moment in the game. Cleveland driving within two points, if my memory serves me correctly, obviously with a good chance of getting downfield to get a field goal, uh, win the game. Um, unfortunately, what we had in the situation was um, the Green Bay defender um, grabs hold of the receiver and pulls the receiver to, to in effect, spring themselves forward. So they yeah. get the interception as a result of basically getting a leverage from the pullback on the receiver. Uh, it should have been called. It is a yeah. foul. Uh, and just before we talk about who should have called it, let's just talk about what foul it was. Because some people have said, well, it was holding. And other people have said, well, it's um, defensive pass interference. So what's the difference? Well, one can be the same. The same action can be one or the other, or both. Uh, especially if it's a continued action. So what the official that's calling it, if they see it, is as soon as they see the hold, they look back at the quarterback to see if the quarterback's released the ball. If the quarterback's still holding the ball, that's a hold, because there cannot be pass interference if you have no pass. So look back. Is the quarterback already in throwing motion? Yep, the ball's already in the air. Therefore, this is now offensive pass interference or defensive pass interference rather than a hold. And that's what's the difference between the two. So it can be exactly the same action that could be called. And mm. obviously, if the hold continues, then it be, it started as a hold and ended up as a pass interference. And it may be that you look at the, the position on the field and say, well, Pass interference in the NFL will be a spot foul from the, the, the place it occurred, which is probably about 10 yards down the field, where a hold would be a five-yard penalty and an automatic first down. And depending on the, the down and distance, it might be better to take the five-yard first down rather than to take the 10 yards um, uh, uh, pass interference, although pass interference mm -hmm. is a first down as well. But there, yeah. there, might, there might be uh, some examples where... The, there are other fouls in play that you might want to decide between one and the other. Anyway, so, yeah, it should have been called. Now, who should have called it is, is where it becomes an interesting one. So the officials on the field have initial keys, as in they will be specifically watching certain players on the field depending on the formation. And it's easy on this particular one because the most external wide receiver on each side of the field is looked at by the deep wing official on that side of the field. So it's very easy to identify who the key is because the outside yeah. receivers got the deep official on that side of the field. So we know who it was responsible. It's the deep official who is probably about 30 yards downfield looking in at the, 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 the play. Now, other people have mentioned that said, well, before the, the, the hold stroke um, defensive pass interference occurred, it looked like this should be an offensive pass at variance because the receiver ran into um, the defender. Um, yeah. What actually is happening is within the first five yards is what's called a chuck. Um, so the defender is allowed to make contact to jar the defender and keep them from breaking downfield quickly and, and, and running a long pass pattern. And they're allowed to chuck within that first five yards. So it's legitimate that the defender is engaged with the offensive guy and the offensive guy is trying to get away from that chuck and make his route or route as the Americans would say. Um, and he's trying to get inside to make the cut on that. And he wants to get inside. The other guy is obviously trying as much as possible to stop him going downfield within the five yard limit of that chuck. So it looks like it could be offensive pass interference because he's he's interfering um, or it looks like there's an interference with the defensive guy, but the defensive guy is initiating contact. And it's, it's for the offensive guy to try and get away from that. Um, and he is trying to get away from that. So it isn't defensive, offensive pass interference um, and it should have been a, a DPI call and it should have been yeah. the deep wing that called it. Unfortunately, you look at where the deep wing is positioned and again, like that face mask penalty that wasn't called, he's got the defender in the way so we can see from the offensive backfield that there's a pull on a jersey that gives him the advantage. But if you look at where his arm is, 
the defender's body's blocking that from the guy that's watching it. So it's unfortunate um, because we can see again with multiple TV angles, um, yep. but the deep wing is, it has got a disadvantage in terms of their view. Um, should have been called still, uh, but I can see why it wasn't because you couldn't see it. And if you can't see it, you can't call it. Even you think, well, mm, surely he gained an advantage because suddenly he's, he's ahead of that guy when they were neck and neck before. Um, but you can't just call on on probabilities. You have to see the action. So a bit yeah. of an unfortunate one, but it decided the game. But as I said earlier, Baker Mayfield had thrown multiple interceptions up to that point. Um, and that's really what Cleveland should be looking at rather than the officiating on that one play. Yeah, exactly right. Um, we're actually going to finally move on to a different game now, believe it or not. So, uh, <laughs> Eventually. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens, the AFC North showdown between these two. Um, this was an interesting one, actually. So this was um, a challenge made by the Bengals um, after Joe Burrow was sacked. Um, they put a challenge flag up to say that the Ravens had 12 players on the field. Um, and... Interesting enough, the challenge. How, how did it go with this challenge? Because it's an interesting well, one, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so when a challenge is made, all reviewable aspects of the play are in play for the replay official. So not only is the ability to look and count whether or not 12 on the defence was there, but they also have the ability to count whether the 12 on the offence were there. And I've never seen an offsetting 12 men on the field um, flag ever in my officiating or watching. Um, now it, it shouldn't happen. In, in fairness, the the officials on the field, every play, it's drummed into them from day one. Count the teams, and there are certain people responsible for counting the offense, and certain people responsible for counting the defense. The only people in this example that that sort of get a little bit away from this are the wing officials, the short wing looking down the line. They don't have the counting responsibility, but there are other people that will get a ding for this one because they certainly should have had um, sight on the 12 on the field. Um, now, is it excusable? Not really, and, and the NFL won't excuse it, but it is understandable why it might occur because um, Cincinnati, seeing that Baltimore had uh, a substitution and another, another guy coming out, were trying to get to the line of scrimmage very quickly. Um, and in effect, because of that, there isn't a lot of time for the official to do that counting. Um, yeah. And therefore, you know, there's lots going on. They're coming to the line that they need to make sure the formation's okay, et cetera. They're checking which keys they've got. So there's lots of things going through their minds as well as counting the players. Um, so they should have caught it, but it wasn't caught. And I've never seen an offset in 12 man on the field called, but it was correctly that replay intervened and looked at the, all the aspects of reviewable aspects on the play and correctly picked up 12 on both sides of the field. Um, now, it, it works anyway for uh, Cincinnati who challenged it, because um, uh, normally they would have got you know a, a five-yard penalty for too many on the field on the defence, but with it being offset, they still don't get the sack that happened, so they go back to their previous play with offsetting fouls. And they keep their challenge because they won the aspect they challenged about, yeah. Um, so they didn't lose the challenge. Um, and in effect, they, they got back from the sack that happened. So that they won overall, um, but it was just an interesting one because I've never seen it before. So the next game we're going to talk about now is um, the Davis Mills um, throw to uh, Dorset. almost called him Tony Dorset for some reason. This is between the game we talked about earlier, between the Chargers and the Texans. So what was so um, unusual about, well, this play that you wanted to discuss? Well, there was no flag on it, but I wanted to show the video of this to highlight mm -hmm. a potential foul that should have been thrown, but you don't often see. Um, so as you've seen on the football field, outside the sideline is big areas of white. And those white areas are the officials' working areas. So the teams are supposed to be outside of those white areas, um, yeah. And you'll see occasionally there will be something like a get back coach um, who is 
keeping a hand on the head coach when they're coming in to call plays or getting excited and they're pulling them out the way of the officials um, to make sure that they're not interfering with the officials' ability to be in that white safely. Um, and, and safety is the issue here. Because when the officials running down the wing, they're looking in fields. They're not looking at who they might be running into. And that's why the area needs to be kept clear during the play. If it's not, then it is what's called sideline interference. Um, and it should be a flag on the, the team that uh, gets in the way. Um, it isn't called very often, especially in the NFL, um, because they have get back coaches and things like this. They, they generally will be good at keeping the uh, um, the coaches out of the way. Even if they venture into the white, they're pulled back out of the white by somebody who's keeping an eye on them um, before the official gets there. And therefore, it's not interference because he didn't have to change anything about what he did. Um, in order to get there. But it should have been called on this one. The official clearly had to go around both the, the coach and looked like the get-back coach yeah. who was in the way. Um, and, and as a result, isn't properly being able to officiate what's going on in the field. Um, and that's the second part of this, which is uh, it's not just the safety of the, the guy that's running down the sideline. It's also the, uh, the ability for them to properly officiate the game without interference. Um, and it should have been called, but it wasn't. Nice. Now, this next particular matchup is between the New York Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm going to be completely honest with this one, Roger. I still don't know what the right call is. Um, <laughs> it's it, This was on off, on off. It was a bit all over the place, wasn't it, this one with the officiating? It was indeed. It, it, and again, we, we talked about I've never seen before earlier when we talked yeah. about the 12-man offsetting fouls. I've never seen a double reverse on a replay. Yeah, uh, and that is what we had this time, and and so the play in question was a, a catch in the end zone. That was the question mark. Uh, great play by the the uh, receiver. He gets control of the ball and he drags his toes, and uh, it, it's interesting from a number of aspects here. So, catch process. He gets control and he gets two feet in bounds. And uh, you can see the um, pebbles coming up, like we talked about, about some smoke in the end zone. So you can see the drag and the pebbles yep. coming up. Now, also, we talked the other week about a catch that wasn't given because whilst the toe got in, the heel came down out of bounds. And that's what I thought initially when replay intervened, they were having a look at and, and, and might have seen that the heel came down out of bounds and therefore it would be correctly overturned to be incomplete. However, it wasn't that. If you look carefully at the view um, down the line, you see the receiver does a great job of not only keeping control, getting his toes down, but yep. leaving his toes down and not letting his heels come down. Um, so it's, you know, a, a great athletic play in order to avoid that issue that we talked about the other week. Now, so what happened was that nowadays we have the, the video assistant who is more than just what they used to do, which was replay particular things, uh, particular moments, and then judge on them. And that was it. They're now able to intervene earlier in the process to try and make a quicker call and stopping coaches having to challenge. So what it appears to be is the replay assistant decided that they'd seen something on the play that made it an incomplete catch instead. However, before it got to the point of the next play, another buzz down to the referee to say, actually, we're going to have a look at this one in more detail. And it went under a full um, review. In that re review, they came up with the result of it being a touchdown still. And so the question would be, what did the video assistant see in the initial view that was so clear and obvious that made them overturn the call? Now, if it was clear and obvious, it should still be clear and obvious in a more detailed review. It shouldn't change. And therefore, you've got to ask the question, well, surely what they're looking at wasn't clear and obvious. Mm. Because if they can then come back and say, no, we're going to go with a catch, then it surely can't have been clear and obvious. 
Now, the final aspect of uh, why it might not have been called a catch in that interim process is once the receiver had got control and they got their tiptoes in, in the end zone, as they go into the ground, they need to maintain control of the ball. And it looks like the ball does ride up the body of the receiver. Now, the question is, is he in control of that? Now, obviously, the, the final replay decided, yes, he was still in control of that. And it may be the interim replay decided that was the aspect that made it an incomplete catch. Now, what we don't know here is how much New York and the replay center there intervened for the extra view. And I would love to be a fly on the wall between the comms between the replay guy in the stadium and New York to find out exactly who was intervening at what aspects and whether yeah. it was the replay guy in the field that said, no, that was a juggle when he landed. And to him, it was clear and obvious. But when it was looked at in New York, they said, no, we don't agree that that's clear and obvious and therefore we're going to leave it as a catch. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. But as mentioned, going back to the old um, golden rule, call on the field was a touchdown. So the aspects that would be under under review would be the control and the feet, and they were definitely in. And then yep. does he maintain control? Well, if it wasn't clear and obvious that he didn't maintain control on, on of the ball when he landed, then a stands would be a correct call uh, and therefore mm -hmm. a touchdown. And that's what it ended up with. But it was a convoluted process and one I've never seen before. And, and I'm sure it, it, this week they'll be saying, don't rush. <laughs> to the replay guys you know yeah. yes it's it's okay all well and good to try and get in with quick information stop coaches having to make a challenge but this is a scoring play it's going to go under review anyway nobody's going anywhere it was called a touchdown they're going to be lining up for the extra point it doesn't have to be rushed don't come yeah. to a quick decision take your time look at all the angles and then make that decision so it's final Exactly. Do you think it would um, help just from a fan perspective? Like, I know we sometimes get, obviously, Pereira and these other guys come in and chime in and give their opinions on what they see. But maybe, you know, like in cricket, where when they're given a call, where you can actually see them talking to the official yeah. and asking for certain replays. Do you think that's that's something that would ever sort of really get in, introduced? It's, it's one I'm, I'm torn on. And so... If you remember back to the Spring League called the AFL, yeah, um, the head of officiating for the AFL was Dean Blandino, and who was the previous head of the NFL officials. Now, one of those people you mentioned that comes on screen to talk about what happened, mm -hmm. and they introduced um, the ability for the communication between the field and the replay and video in that booth to be shown. Now. On the plus side, it added a great level of transparency. You can see the process that they went through, see the mm. angles they were looking at, and then go, ah, I can see why they made that determination. Even if you don't agree with it, you say, okay, I can see what they did. So that's, that's one aspect. The second one is on the negative side of it. Potentially, I don't want the officials to be guarded about what they say. Um, yep. You know, if they say, I'm a bit unsure about whether he did or didn't land, that, that doesn't, doesn't come across very well. And I want them to be as open and honest with the replay guy when they're having that conversation about deciding whether it is or it isn't, and without having to think who's listening. So I, I'm torn. What I do think should happen, though, and this, this um, is not in that replay process, is the referee, when they make the announcement, I would like to see them being more vocal about why something was or wasn't called. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when he was not made that catch, you know, he didn't maintain control through the ground, for example, as the reason that that was called. Um, or his toe came down, but his heel came down out of bounds. That was the reason that wasn't called. There's no reason they can't give that information and mm -hmm. under walt anderson there seems to be a directive that less is more and they announced the the fouls without going into any more detail and i don't like that personally and i, I know a number of other people don't um nfl is an entertainment sport um regardless of whether it's a sport as well and part of that entertainment is tv and the audience 
Um, yeah. The information you can give to the commentators that, that allow them to, to look at it or and all the TV people, you know. So if you say this wasn't called because of the heel coming out of bounds, the director can actually say, okay, let's have another look at that shot again and show the audience and highlight it with the highlighter type thing and say, oh, yeah, there you go. He got his toes in, but his heel came down out of bounds. That's, that's yeah. you know, that's not allowed. And, and the people at home, instead of going, well, hang on, that looked like a catch to me. And this game's rigged because they're now saying it's not. <laughs> and they're going, oh, okay, I, that makes more sense. I don't necessarily agree with the rule. And why should the heel not? count but you can at least understand it and say okay that's that's the way the rules written that's the way it was officiated therefore it was officiated correctly rather than the, again god this game is fixed you know yeah i totally agree there i think um there's there's lots more that can be sort of done to sort of enhance especially for the tv viewer as well you know who, who can only see part of what's going on because half the time we're influenced by what we're hearing you know, in terms of the commentary. So um, that, that would definitely be a massive help. Um, the next game we're going to talk about is between the Bears and the Seahawks. So a bit of a, a nothing game, but it, it got quite interesting at the end. Um, <laughs> yeah, Foles, about the only time it did. <laughs> yeah, Nick, Nick Foles making a, another comeback. Um, so this was a two-point conversion um, attempt that was made and... I must say it was a magnificent play by Bayard um, for the two-point conversion. But uh, what aspects of this play did you want to sort of discuss? Um, yeah, Qu quite rightly, as you say, a great play call um, that ended with a very good results um, because they 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 completed the two-point um, to take them into the lead. However, the interesting aspect from an officiating point of view that I wanted to point out was a couple of rules that people either A, may not know in history, and B, may not know the rule even exists. And what we have are two aspects. In the NFL, and I can't remember when it was when it was taken out of the rule, but something like 2008, so it, it, it's, it's a long time ago, there used to be something um, called a force out. So if you imagine a receiver coming down, and, and if gravity has no other impact on him or is the only thing that has an impact on him he's going to land with two feet in the end zone and somebody comes and pushes him out of the way and he ends up out of the goal line on the end of the um field then that would be called a force out and it used to be that a judgment was made by the official would this receiver have come down and got feet in bounds if he hadn't have been interfered with and that used to be the rule. Now, as I said, 2008 or something like that, they, they uh, got rid of that rule. And now the, it, it's down to the receiver to actually make sure he does get his feet in. And it's, it's up to the defender to try and stop him as much as possible legally um, getting his feet down. And that, that's the, the battle. And I prefer it that way. However, there is still a rule in the rule book which would allow for a, a judgment decision about whether or not the defender would have come down in bounds and it's actually a carry out rule so whilst you can force the receiver out of bounds you can't lift them or hold them to prevent them coming down in the field of play and if you do that and take them out of the end zone then that is actually a foul and um, that would they uh, therefore be called a touchdown based on the carryout. So that's still in the rule book. You don't see it. I've, I've never seen it called in all the time I think I've watched football. Um, but if you look oh. at the video on this one, there is a moment when the receiver is coming down and he's actually held up and, yeah. and looks like he's going to be forced out of the end zone. But as it happens, the receiver um, uh, or the, the defender's ease up on the holds as such and the, the 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 receiver does actually come down with his feet in bounds and then the inbound i think if i remember rightly but um yeah it was just an interesting one because of the old force out rule and um the potential for a carry out which again you know we, we've never seen this is the week of we've never seen mm -hmm. that that was as close to the to a carry out touchdown as i have ever seen <laughs> yeah the next play we're gonna discuss is 
between the Arizona Cardinals and the Indianapolis Colts. So this was an offensive pass interference um, that was given, um, I believe it was against the Colts, wasn't it? Yes. I think back to this one, yes. So uh, This is a very quick one, actually, because um, it it was just to highlight the difference between the NFL rules and college rules. Yeah. Um, So if we take college rules... um, you can only have offensive pass interference, offensive pass interference by the guy going downfield to block if there is a forward pass that crosses the original line of scrimmage. So if it's caught behind the line of scrimmage, you can't have offensive pass interference. So screen passes are the, the prime example of this. You'll often see. So the, the receivers on the outside will go down and, and commence blocking immediately because the ball is being caught behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. However, the NFL uh, has a slightly different rule here. And if a forward pass is made, not a forward pass that goes beyond the line of scrimmage, then if um, one of the eligible receivers is blocking um, when the ball is in the air or before the ball is in the air um, on a pass that goes downfield, then that is offensive pass interference. And that was quite rightly called here. Um, the, the wide receiver immediately engages with the, the guy that's blocking him or defending him. And um, when the pass is being thrown and correctly was thrown as an OPI call. But I just wanted to highlight quickly that uh, slight difference in, um, in interpretation between the two codes. Fantastic. And finally, we're going to talk about the matchup between the uh, Washington football team and the Dallas Cowboys, uh, Washington, not really much on offense or defense for that matter in this game, but <laughs> there was there was there was a bit of reprieve for them at towards the end of the game where I mean they were sort of in scoring territory. Um, talk us through what sort of happened with this play with Bates, the tight so, end. Um, th- this was a play that confused a number of people, and I just wanted to to break down the different aspects of it to say what people can and can't do and why certain rules are in play so what we had is that um uh, the catch was made and the 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 runner um which is what the 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 person is once they've completed the catch running go running towards the end zone very just short two or three yards short of the end zone and the ball is knocked out of their possession so we have a loose ball on the ground so the person who just caught the pass then picks up that ball whilst they're on the ground and gets it into the end zone. Yeah. Now, so there are a number of aspects of this which people queried. So the first one is they said, well, once he's on the ground, if he gains possession of that ball, isn't it dead at that point? Well, no, not in the NFL. <laughs> Going back to the differences between the different codes, in college football, yes, if you're on the ground with your knees on the ground, no body on the ground, and you have possession of the ball, the play is dead at that point. So you can't then advance the ball. The NFL, because he'd fumbled the ball, he could then recover the ball, and if he wasn't touched while down, advance it into the end zone. So then we have the next aspect being reviewed, which was, was he able to recover the ball with control and get it into the end zone prior to being touched by the defender? Well, if you actually look at um, what control is, it's not just touching the ball. As we've talked before about when you make a catch, it's the same type of principle. He's got to have firm grip of the ball and the body part down. Well, he's obviously got the body part down and then time to perform a football move. And the same principle applies here. And uh, so as soon as he gets clear control, not just touching that ball, the ball has already breached the gold line. He then, in the continuing action, drags it further into the end zone is what then yeah. people are saying, well, hang on, he's not allowed to drag it into the end zone. Surely he's down already. So the, the, the different aspects here are that he once he got the possession, um, he was already in the end zone and therefore it was a touchdown. So then we've got another aspect to consider. So people have said, well, if you fumble a ball, you're not allowed to advance it. Um, and that's true in certain circumstances. And there is something um, 
that's in the NCAA college rule book called the fourth down fumble rule, um, which is on a fourth down, if you fumble it, the only person that can advance that fumble is the person who did the fumbling. NFL has a very similar rule, but they have an additional element to it, which is that also applies to any play within the final two minutes of the half. Um, so if we look at the time on this play, it wasn't within two minutes. Therefore, it doesn't come under the NFL's rule because the person who recovered the fumble was the same person who fumbled it, and they're allowed to advance it on their own fumble, and it wasn't within the two minutes, and therefore they're not prohibited by time in the game to actually do so as well. Now, why do we have this rule? Um, it's a bizarre one sometimes, but we had a, a play many years ago called the Holy Roller. Uh, yeah. And if you look at Wikipedia, you'll see Holy Roller is, 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 a, is a page on its own um, because it was uh, controversial. And so if you imagine yourself and you're running to get a first down and you've got about nine yards and you're on fourth down, and you're going to lose the ball if you don't get to the line to gain because you're going to give it over to the opposition. There is a temptation that says, well, if I fumble it forward and one of my other teammates gets it past the line to gain, we'll get a first down. And the holy roller play was exactly that type of thing. Somebody fumbled it forward, somebody else fumbled it forward, and somebody else recovered it. Yeah. But because there was no um, limit on a forward fumble, and who could recover it, that was a legal play, and it scored a touchdown. The NFL, quite rightly, at the end of um, that season, went, well, we don't like that. <laughs> that's, that that's just opening the door to cheating, isn't it? Um, mm. And therefore, they, they introduced the, the, um, the rule where they have it now, which is that uh, fourth down or any time within the last two minutes, you yeah. can't um, advance a fumble if you aren't the fumbler. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, some people were confused about this play and that they, they said um, they confused it with a, one of the other plays. Uh, oh, the fumble ruski, um, which is a similar type of principle. Um, but a fumble ruski is often where the quarterback um, doesn't uh, have possession of the ball and they, in effect, and people would call it a fumble, but it's actually a muff. So the difference between a muff and a fumble is a muff is touching the ball without possession. And in order to have a fumble, you have to have possession first. So if a quarterback at the snap doesn't take that ball, but just makes it fall to the ground, that's a muff. Yep. And the first person to pick it up can then fumble it and then re retrieve that because they are the fumbler and the, the person that falls within the rule. So the fumble ruski is actually a sort of a deliberate loose ball uh, in the vicinity of the center and a misdirection, everybody else going in different directions and somebody else picks up that ball and goes the other way. Um, so a number of people were confused about uh, this was the fumble ruski reason, but it isn't, it's the holy roller. <laughs> it's weird yeah. that particular um, penalties nowadays actually have, uh, have, have names <laughs> yeah 100 percent. and the holy roller as well i mean it's funny that you bring this up this was a matchup between the raiders and the chargers i believe and you know the the coach obviously the person coaching the raiders at that point was was john madden who yeah absolutely unfortunately passed passed away um uh yes oh, a couple of days ago i believe or was it yesterday now but what a what a legacy that guy's had. Uh, you know, just even if you take the football aside, I mean, even from my kids' perspective, you know, do you want to play Madden? Should we play Madden? That, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that word Madden. It's a verb. You know, mm. Exactly. It, it just comes goes across for generations to generations now. And it's you know, it's sad, but you know, he's he's left a he's left a massive legacy in the football world. And absolutely, just, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, you and I growing up will have would known him as a commentator if we didn't yeah. know our history. Uh, yeah, but obviously, a coach before that for you know ten years in the NFL, so, and yeah. made a real difference to how coaching was done. Um, and then obviously had a, a very distinguished career as as a commentator. So under um, many mm. years, yeah. You can't forget that voice. Just definitely one of the best, um, yeah. you know, but 100%. So, you know, uh, thoughts and prayers go out to everyone, obviously, you know, in the NFL community. Um, and, yeah, just 
going to move forward now, um, as I imagine he would want to do, uh, and look forward to obviously week 17 um, next week. Uh, some very, very exciting games, isn't there, Roger, coming up? And uh, we don't have any Thursday night football either. So it No, be, no Thursday night uh, football, so it's all condensed into the weekend now. It is, it is. Um, I'm quite relieved in a way. <laughs> I am as well. I'm, I'm done with the late nights. There's too many late nights at the minute, especially yeah, during exactly. uh, Christmas. It's not ideal, especially when you've got to get back to the routine of working again and, and things like that. It's it's very difficult, but, you know, I very much look forward to it. Um, we'll see what it brings, Watch. Have you got any plans for the new year? Uh, now I'm staying in and watching the college semi-finals on Friday night. Yeah. So uh, another date like... <laughs> Yeah, and who have you got winning the um, the college playoffs? And who's your money on? It's a bit of an uh, obvious question, one isn't actually. It for I, me. I, but... I, I don't watch enough college football to really mm. know the teams in and out. Um, yeah. So it, to be fair. And and also, I, I I watch games in a different perspective. I watch it from an officiating point of view. So I'm yeah. not usually looking at, at whether Team X or Team Y is doing well. I'm actually looking at the way that the play is officiated. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. But all, all you need to know is Alabama beat Georgia a few weeks back. So it's pretty much all done and dusted already, to be honest. As much as I hate <laughs> yeah, to I say it, I don't, I don't want Alabama to win it. But... Um, you know, I think based on what happened a few weeks ago, they've definitely got the psychological edge now um, over any team now because they've, they've done it. But they have shown that they can be vulnerable on the odd occasion and potentially and, and, lose. And so, the, other, yeah. the other factor is, of course, COVID. Um, yeah. Because a number of bowl games have already gone by the wayside yeah. because teams are, are being yeah. taken out. And, you know, it, it's possible we may not have the games and we may have a... Um, a college championship decided by the team left standing without actually playing, which um, would be a lot, little bizarre, but um, hopefully they can get the mm. games done. Yeah, I'm sure they will. I've not heard anything about those, the playoff games, but yeah, a lot of the other bowl games have uh, been cancelled. Um, my Oregon Ducks have got the Alamo Bowl um, coming up against Oklahoma, so they're playing in uh, San Antonio. Um so that will be an interesting one. That that one is going ahead as far as I'm aware. But yeah, I, I know a lot have yeah. gone by the fingers, wayside Fingers now. crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed, definitely. But thank you again, Roger, for uh, giving us another fantastic week. Um, a bit of a unique week this week with so many different aspects. So just goes to show how, you know, um, it's always worth listening into the podcast. Remember, you can see these videos um, on the description of the um, podcast. So if you want to see the footage that we're talking about, feel free to do so. Um, also, any questions you have for the team, you know, do fo follow Roger Goodgroves on his social media. I'm sure he'll be able to answer any questions you may have. Um, but thank you again, Roger. And uh, you have a happy new year, mate. Yeah, thanks to you. Take care.